After Moses, Yahweh's servant, died, Yahweh said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Get ready. Cross the Jordan River. Lead these people into the land that I am ready to hand over to them. I am handing over to you every place you set foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert in the south to Lebanon in the north. It will extend all the way to the great river Euphrates in the east, including all Syria and all the way to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to resist you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not abandon you or leave you alone. Thus begins the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, 1 through 5. And that provides a very useful description of what is going to happen in the book of Joshua. It is a book known for its warfare. It is a book of ideals and fulfillments, and there's a lot that we can learn from it. Who wrote Joshua is unknown. Uh, the narrator shows some consistency with perhaps Deuteronomy and Judges. Uh, we can imagine that it might be the same uh, person who is uh, the inspired editor uh, compiling various narratives to put all of this together. In Acts 7, verse 45, and Hebrews 4, the authenticity of the events who are, which are described in Joshua are validated. And so we have no doubt in the inspiration of the author, even if we do not know who he is. When it comes to dating, uh, according to the biblical chronology, if we take 1 Kings 6 and verse 1 as reflecting uh, the reality on the ground, then Joshua would have brought Israel into Canaan around the year 1410 B.C., and the book would take place over around 30 or 40 years. Uh, we have reason to believe uh, that the book was probably written, or at least a lot of the material from which it would let her be put together was written, uh, before the time of David, and probably just before uh, that time of David. Um, because of Joshua 15 and 63, the men of Judah were unable to conquer the Jebusites living in Jerusalem. The Jebusites live with the people of Judah in Jerusalem to this very day which would be a situation no longer uh, true when David would come and conquer that city. So the original audience of the book of Joshua is Israel after the conquest of the land, and, and there's a lot that we can gain from it. And the purpose is to relate Israel's conquering the land of Israel, to recount God's work for Israel, to demonstrate God's faithfulness, and as a testimony of how the people committed themselves to God. And in many ways, it will point to a later Yehoshua, Yeshua, uh, that we know as Jesus. The main sections of the book of Joshua, uh, we can say, are the first eight chapters in which the Jordan is crossed and Jericho and Ai are captured. Then we have southern and northern conflicts in chapters 9 through 11. Chapters 12 through 19, the land is allotted. And then we have the final preparations of Joshua and his final exhortations in chapters 20 through 24. So as we saw in Joshua chapter 1, uh, it begins with God speaking to Joshua while the Israelites are still on the eastern side of the Jordan River to encourage him. Uh, the people are then readied. They respond eagerly to the message. And then in chapter 2, Joshua sends out spies to Jericho, and they happen to come to the inn of Rahab. Rahab the innkeeper, often associated as a harlot. Um, there might be some convergence there in the way that we understand that term, uh, that these kind of places would not be for a lot of respectable people. And so here we see how Rahab hides the spies and covers for them. In fact, lies on their behalf and sends out the people to try to find them uh, in a different direction than the spies are actually going to go. 
Uh, and when the spies, uh, uh, you know, she spoke to the spies, she says that she knew that Yah was handing this land over to you, and they're terrified of them, and all who live in the land are cringing before them. Because they heard how Yahweh had uh, dried up the water of the Red Sea when you left Egypt, and how the Amorite king Sihon and Og were annihilated before him. And so because of this, they she wants to be saved, protected when the uh, inevitable takes place. And they said that they committed to her um, that they would not, uh, they would spare her and, and, and gave her the sign of what they should provide uh, with the scarlet cord coming down so that they would be spared when it all happened. And so they went back and told Joshua all that had happened. And Joshua learned from that, that indeed that Yahweh was going to hand the land over to them, that the people were afraid of them. And so in chapter three, we see the crossing of the Red Sea. I'm sorry, not the Red Sea, the uh, Jordan River. Uh, the final preparations, their instructions are made, and they're supposed to follow the ark, and it's announced that are going to happen. The priests stand in the ark with the, in the middle of the ark, uh, and, uh, with the ark in the middle of the river, and the waters recede when that happens. And now Israel is in Canaan. And now they are to take stones from the bottom of the river. And by the way, this would have happened when it was at a high stage. Uh, to further demonstrate God's power here. And they were to uh, take stones as a memorial, to build a memorial of their crossing. Uh, the men of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh for war also come over. The priests come forth, and the waters will return to their banks. And instruction is made uh, regarding what this is all about for their children, so they would understand what God has done for them. In chapter 5, men of Israel are circumcised. Apparently, we're not doing that in the wilderness they observe the Passover again, and the manna from heaven ceases because they are now in the land. At the very end of that chapter, we start seeing the, the commander of Yahweh's host of angels comes to him, and he sees him, and uh, he falls down before him. So chapter 6, we have the fall of Jericho. It is shut up, and God instructs Jericho, uh, Jer uh, Joshua to start marching around Jericho. They march around for six days, and on the seventh day, very infamously, they uh, march seven times around the city, horns blow, and the walls fall down. Now, in the ancient world, uh, walls were the protective barrier. The minute the walls fall, there is no ability for the people of Jericho to protect their city. And so Jericho is reckoned as the first roots of God, and therefore it is placed under the ban. Everything was devoted for destruction. Everything. All humans and creatures... Uh, except for Rahab's family and certain metal objects that were to be dedicated to God. And, and at the end of this chapter, Joshua curses the one who would rebuild Jericho. Those curses would eventually come into effect in the days of Ahab, king of Israel. However, in chapter 7, we learn there is anger of God because of Achan. Achan had taken some of the wealth for himself. And so uh, this is background. Understand that when they send spies to Ai and a small army is sent, it is beaten back. And Josh and their elders mourn and wonder what's going on here. And then God indicates one of them has taken of the devoted things. And all Israel stands before God. And the lot will eventually fall before Achan. Achan confesses. And we're told that Achan and his family and his property are all taken. They are stoned. Uh, and they are then buried, uh, burned. And that is why it is called the Valley of Achor. And so now in chapter 8, God will give Ai into Israel's hand. There's an ambush that they would develop. They sent out an ambush squad, 
And so there's the ambush around the city. Joshua then takes the main core of the army out, and they go and they do a fleeing operation to draw Aites out. The men of Ai pursue, thinking they're going to win again like last time, but the signal is ta- given, the city is taken, and they look behind them and see the smoke rising in their town that they have been uh, thus compromised, and 12,000 of Ai die. And the city is uh, made a heap of ruins, and everything is taken from it. At this point in chapter 8, Joshua builds an altar on Mount Ebal and reads the blessings and cursings on Gerizim and Ebal as Moses had directed. In chapter 9, we have the treachery of Gibeon. Now, we must remember that the Israelites were to put under the man all the Canaanites. And so the Gibeonites uh, saw what happened to Jericho and Ai, and they see the writing on the wall. And so they, they come up with a ruse. They are treacherous. They act like they're distant travelers. They want to make a covenant with Israel. Very importantly, uh, in chapter 9 of verse 14, the men examined some of their provisions, but they failed to ask Yahweh's advice. Ostensibly, if they asked, Yahweh would tell them what's going on. Joshua made a peace treaty with them and agreed to let them live, and they sealed an oath. A few days afterward, they found out that actually they were nearby. They were Gibeonites that lived very close by. They were supposed to be put in the band and die. And uh, what's interesting is is that we would consider uh, an oath made under the circumstance to be null and void because it was made under duplicitous circumstances. But the Israelites are to be true to whatever they have promised to God. And so the Gibeonites, therefore, are told, hey, look, you're going to be our slaves. Um, okay. Um, and that the, the, they're going to survive. And so this is the point at which we learn that there will be no complete extermination of the Canaanites because Israel is now obligated by covenant to uh, preserve the life of the Gibeonites. And um, so even though they are servants of the Israelites, they are still in the land. Now, uh, the king of Jerusalem ha- heard about not just Ai and uh, and uh, Jericho, but also that the Gibeonites had, had capitulated to the Israelites. And Gibeah is a very a major city. And so now all of a sudden, Adonai Zedek of Jerusalem uh, kind of gets all of his uh, further kings in the southern area to attack Gibeon. And so the, they all, the Amorite kings all attack uh, Gibeon, and they send this message to Jer- Joshua and the Israelites that they are under this distress. Uh, and so the whole army absolutely marches and goes up from Gilgal there, and they attacked by surprise after marching all night. And Yahweh completely defeated these kings before Israel at Gibeon. This is the very famous message, in fact, uh, where uh, in verse 12, uh, Joshua prayed to Yahweh and before Israel, O sun, stand still over Gibeon, O moon, over the valley of Aijalon, that the sun stood still and remained motionless uh, so that there could be a longer slaughter of the enemies before nightfall. And uh, Yahweh uh, fought for Israel. And the, the kings ran away, hid in a cave. He was told about this. Uh, he came to get them. He grabbed them. And they were all let out. And they um, were all left hanging and then taken down from the trees. And, in fact, buried there. A testimony to the great victory God gave to the Israelites. And so, uh, at that time, Joshua then goes and attacks the cities of these kings. Uh, Makeda, uh, Libna. Lachish, Eglon, uh, Hebron, and all Debir, all of these they're fought against, and uh, they are all captured. And they are all now made part of Israelite territory. On the other side of the land, the northern side from chapter 11, King Jabin of Hazor hears about all of this, and so he develops his coalition of northern kings 
uh, Medon, Shimron, Aksaf, uh, all of these kings there, uh, all these Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, all of these come together and they fight at the waters of Merom against Israel. And uh, Joshua attacks them at the king at, at that spring there. And they uh, defeat them. In fact, the, 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 they flee all the way to Sight, a greater side. They all flee to the northwest, well out of uh, territory into the Antilebanon Mountains. And he did everything God told him to do. Hazor was struck down and uh, burned to the ground. It was uh, completely leveled and eliminated. And all of these cities were thus conquered. There had been victory on the north, on the south, all over. And this is the point at which we the book makes a significant transition. Uh, chapter 12 uh, recounts all of the kings and lands that the Israelites had conquered and defeated. And But in chapter 13, uh, the message is given that Joshua's old. And uh, there's a lot of land to be conquered yet. And uh, that it would have to be done by future generations. Now the time had come to make the tribal allotments. And so the first allotment, of course, was the Transjordan land that had already been allotted, the land of uh, Manasseh, Reuben, and Gad on the eastern side of the Jordan River there between the Ammonites and the Moabites in the land of Gilead. And then we see the allotments that are to be handed out by lot. And so um, Caleb receives Hebron as a special inheritance from Moses' promise to him. And thus the first allotment is given to Judah. And the Judean allotment, which is most of the, the, the Negev, the south land, is well known and therefore uh, aligned. Uh, we see how Caleb will attack and conquers Hebron, even though it's already been prepared. There's also the attack on Debir, and Othniel will take Debir and Oxa, Caleb's daughter, as wife and gets the gift of springs. Othniel will become the first judge of Israel. And the cities of Judah are then explained in chapter 15. We then have the land of Joseph in chapter 16 and 17 and 18 uh, for Benjamin as well. So we have uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. Uh, and then after that, there's seven portions of the rest of the land. Because you think about it, at that point, Judah... Manasseh, Ephraim is actually the biggest amount of the land there uh, uh, west of the Jordan River. And so there's seven more portions cut out, which is supposed to be received by Lot in chapter 18. The first one is Benjamin, who gets stuck there between Judah and Ephraim. Simeon, which seems to be entirely within Judah, like a little hamlet within Judah. Uh, Zebulun, Issachar, Asher, and Naphtali, which are all in the northern area around the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and then in chapter 19, Dan, uh, which originally is kind of just to the north of the Philistines along the coast. But of course, the it's preparation to understand the Philistines so are not going to give that up. The Philistines are much stronger than the Israelites when they come and, and conquer the land. And so Dan will eventually go to the far north when they conquer uh, a city uh, of, the, of the Sidonians and name it Dan. And then they have chapter 19, uh, Joshua is given his allotment. Uh, within the land as well. In chapter 20, the cities of refuge are designated, again, where if somebody uh, accidentally kills somebody, they go run so they don't get uh, killed by the uh, Redeemer of blood. And the cities and pasture lands are then given in chapter 21 to the Levites. Chapter 22, we see how the men of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh are blessed and they return home. And they build this huge altar. And the rest of the Israelites are convinced this is idolatry, this is paganism, we're going to go to war. And so we see great zeal 
here manifested uh, because they, uh, they they don't want these people uh, sinning this way. But beforehand, you know, they, they, they send a delegation. Phineas and delegation is sent to these tribes to figure out what's going on. And they explain what they're trying to do. They're not trying to offer sacrifices on this altar. They're they're making a witness of their share in Yahweh in case in future generations uh, the people west of the uh, river want to act like those east of the river aren't really Israelites. And so Phineas and the others are satisfied, and war is thus averted. Chapter 23, Joshua will uh, summon Israel, and he will challenge them to be faithful, and wants to encourage them, and warns them they need to continue to observe God's statutes. In chapter 24, verses 1 through 13, Joshua assembled all of the Israelites together at Shechem, and he laid out the history, right, from uh, Terah, the fact that Terah and his family worshipped other gods, but God took Abraham uh, and brought him to the land of Canaan. There was Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. Then, you know, Jacob and his sons go to Egypt, Moses and Aaron, bringing them out of Egypt. They lived in the wilderness and how they had been brought to the land they're in now a land that has all kinds of benefits that they did not uh, build themselves. And so then his exhortation is for them to obey Yahweh, worship him with integrity and loyalty, to put aside the gods of their ancestors in the Euphrates in Egypt to worship Yahweh, that they don't want to worship Yahweh, choose to serve some other god of this day. Of course, a very famous line in verse 15, but I and my family will worship Yahweh. And the people then will far be it from us to abandon Yahweh to serve other gods, uh, for Yahweh took us out of Egypt and our fathers out of slavery and has done these awesome miracles and has protected us and brought us here. He is our God. And this is a, really a testing by Joshua. You're not going to serve God. You're, you're going to, he's a holy God. He's jealous and he's not going to forgive when you rebel and you sin if you abandon him. And then he'll say, no, we're really going to worship Yahweh. And so Joshua then said, are you witnesses against yourself that you're going to serve Yahweh? And they said, we are witnesses. And that's when he says for them to put away the foreign gods and they reaffirmed and ratified the covenant there uh, on that very day. And it's a witness it'd be against them if they did not actually do what God said to do. And of course, we are well aware, unfortunately, that that is exactly what's about to take place. And we're told then that Joshua would die at the age of 110. They buried him there. It says Israel worshiped Yahweh throughout his lifetime. And as long as those who uh, outlived him remained alive, um, that they had experienced what God had done for Israel. They had brought Joseph's bones back, and they buried him in uh, the Shechem in the field that Jacob bought there. And Eliezer had died, and uh, Phinehas buried him where he had land. And so we're supposed to see that the transition is now complete. In a very real way, uh, a good conclusion of it actually comes from Jack 20, chapter 21, that Yahweh gave Israel all the land he had solemnly promised to their ancestors, and they conquered it and lived in it. But Yahweh made them secure in the fulfillment of all he had solemnly promised their ancestors. None of their enemies could resist them. Yahweh handed all their enemies over to them. Not one of Yahweh's faithful promises to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Every single one of them was realized. A lot of times we talk about uh, the book of Joshua, we talk about it normally as the beginning of the history section, right? This would be considered in the Hebrew Bible the Actually, part of the, the prophets, right? The historical prophets. Joshua is the first of those. And we can understand that. It's the historical thing when they are in the land. But there's also a way of looking at Joshua where we look at the first five books of Torah and the books of Torah, as opposed to the Pentateuch, the five, we look at the Hexateuch, the six, where Joshua, in many ways, is the conclusion to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 
Because in Joshua, we have that statement that God had made all these promises to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, to Aaron, and he fulfills them all here. He's fulfilled all the promises that he has made. Israel is in the land. They have been given possession of it. God has delivered them out of the hand of Egypt. He has blessed them abundantly. He has done all that he said he would do. And so Israel was to understand from reading Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Joshua that God had been faithful. And of course, the rest of the text would show how they had proven less than faithful. And therefore, not all would be well. And the land would not be fully conquered. There would be Canaanites in the land. They would serve the gods of the people despite their own testimony against them. And therefore, Joshua did not really give them rest. And it would become a later Yeshua who would provide rest, the rest that we can have in Jesus in accomplishing his work and to share in the resurrection of life. And therefore, let us be faithful to God and have that victory in Jesus. We're so glad that you've joined us. If you have any questions, comments, or thoughts about our conversation about John, let us know. Uh, continue our conversation. Subscribe to us. And if you find it beneficial, share this message. I'm Ethan with the Venice Church of Christ. We are a non-nominational church of Christians in Los Angeles, and we'd love to be of encouragement service to you. Would you like for us to pray for you? Would you like to have a Bible study or to go through a Bible correspondence course or just to talk or you'd like to meet with us? Please let us know. Please reach out to us at VeniceChurchOfChrist.org. You can also find us online. Uh, on many social media platforms, Adventure to Christ or Venice Church. We again thank you. May the Lord bless and keep you until we're able to meet again.